Hey guys, we got a loaded show coming for you this week. Great guest in to break down all the quarterbacks in this year's class and which order he has for top five, or is it six? We got takeaways on the Niners, on Mac Jones, on teams trying to trade down, and on Mike Tomlin. And as always, we get to your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the Albert Breer Show. It's just eight days left till the NFL draft. We got a great guest coming for you this week. He's going to give you special insight into all the top quarterbacks in this year's class. And this is a guy who's actually watched them come up, who has an idea of who they are. He's going to give you all of that. He's also going to give you his quarterback ranking, which is a little different than most people. Different number two than a lot of people have. Also a different number five than a lot of people have. And he's going to take us inside the place that Trevor Lawrence is about to go and into who the man in charge there will be as an NFL coach. We're also going to get to all your questions in a six-pack like we always do, but we're going to start with the the takeaways. My first takeaway, the Niners really have sort of, I, I think, owned the last three weeks. Following the big trade, the move up from 12 to 3, following the revelation that they're going to be taking a quarterback and finding a long-term replacement for Jimmy Garoppolo. There's been a lot of guessing on what, they, what they're what they going to do. There's been a lot of um, opining on what they should do. And I, I just kind of want to break down where I think they're at and how they've gone through this process. I really do believe at the start of this, uh, Kyle Shanahan had a quarterback that he could say, I feel comfortable with this guy for the next 15 years as my starting quarter, quarterback. I believe that was probably at the beginning on March 29th. And I don't know this, but at the beginning, I, that was Mac Jones. And I think the reason why the Niners decided we're going to be aggressive, we're going to go a month early, this much I know, they did it because they wanted to have a full month to vet these guys out where they didn't have to be sneaking around. There was There didn't have to be any sort of subterfuge. When they go and Zoom with all of these guys, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't going to get out that they were Zooming with these guys, and they wouldn't have to explain it to anybody. Uh, they could arrange for the second pro days for Trey Lance and Justin Fields and go to the second pro day for Mac Jones. Um, you know, So uh, the idea of the whole thing was we feel comfortable with one of them. We really like the other two. So let's take a look at all three of them. We believe that all three of them have a chance to make it. And so to me, it's if Mac Jones is your starting point and you're working from there with a couple guys that might be more physically talented in Justin Fields and Trey Lance, that's a smart way to do it. So my takeaway on it is that I think the Niners have handled this whole thing correctly. You know, I think getting a chance to see Fields live, getting a chance to see Trey Lance live, um, getting special insight into those guys because Kyle Shanahan coached John Beck. Um, and John Beck, of course, can help help those guys put together a script of what Kyle Shanahan will want to see. The fact that Rich Skiing Gorilla, the quarterback's coach there, actually got to dial up about 10 throws at each of those pro days, which gave it, you know, sort of the effect of a private workout and did this drill with them where um, you know, you ask them to drop back, you have receivers at spots, and you have a guy move, so they have to react and throw. That's another thing that they got to do, that they got to see. So I think the Niners are going to be able to make an incredibly informed decision now. 
Will it be Justin Fields? Will it be Trey Lance? Will it be Mac Jones? I'm not sure. And I, I you know, as I understand it, they're still finalizing that decision now, coming out of Trey Lance's second pro day on Monday. But I just think it's a really smart process that they've run. And it's given them, I think, the best chance to get the pick right. Takeaway number two, I think Mac Jones is going to be a great test case for where the quarterback position is now and going forward. And it's amazing to me when you look at where the position was, let's say in 2008, when Matt Ryan went third overall and when Joe Flacco went, uh, went, I believe it was 17th overall, somewhere in there, how different things are now. And how when you look at the guys who've made it since then and those who haven't, I, most of the guys who've made it are hyper-athletic. There are a few exceptions. Like Derek Carr is a good, not great athlete. Jared Goff, a good, not great athlete. But you, 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 you look at those, you look at the ones who did, like, and most of the guys who have, like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, I mean, for a time, we, we thought he was there, Andrew Luck. Like most of the guys have plus athleticism that have made it. Uh, more recently, Justin Herbert's that sort of guy, right? Kyler Murray's that sort of guy. So I think the thing that's going to be interesting about Matt Jones, who I think is a like a solid athlete, not a great athlete, can you still still win that way? And it's interesting because the people I've talked to say Matt Jones is a genius when it comes to football, right? And this isn't just, it's not just stereotyping. He really is that smart about the game. And he really is able to process at that level. And he really is able to take what he's taught and apply it on the field at an incredibly proficient um, level. And like to me, like the best story I got on that is there was one team that's been working on him. And a couple of months ago, they, they installed with him. And they've met with him a few times since. And just more recently, within the last week or so, they met with him again. And when they met with him, they asked him to spit back out to them what the first thing they had installed with him that with him was, which was a couple months ago. And he shot it right back at them. He knew exactly what it was. He knew the play. He knew the formation. He knew what his read was. He knew all of it. And they were floored by that. They knew he was a smart guy. So here's a guy who, as Trent Dilfer said on the pod last week, has sort of a twitchy mind and like really sort of plays the position in an old school way. It's going to be really interesting to see if he makes it or not, what that says about where the position is going. Because my feeling is the more athletic guys, like being that sort of athlete buys you time to develop. Josh Allen... Carson Wentz, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes early in their career when maybe they still had a ways to go from a learning standpoint, they were able to make it work because they could go out there and in some cases they could out-athlete the guy on the other side. It's hard to make it now, I think, if you can't do that. And so Mac Jones is going to be such an incredibly interesting test case of where the game is at the game's most important position. Takeaway number three Lots of teams are looking to bail out of the top 10. And 
you know, Atlanta's one that has, has absolutely explored it. The asking price is high. I think you can question how motivated they are to get out of there, but they've at least explored it. Detroit's looking at the idea of it at seven. Miami, I think, would do it. And if Jalen, if if Jamar Chase, if Panay, or if if Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts isn't there at six, I think Miami might look at pulling the trigger on that. If one of those two guys is there, I think they would probably stick. Carolina, maybe if Justin Fields isn't there. Um, you know, Denver has looked at moving up. They've also looked at moving down. So why is all of this happening? Well, the makeup of this year's draft class is interesting. I think there are about maybe like 12, 15 guys that are in the elite group, right? So I think Pitts, Chase, Sewell are probably like the super elites, right? But if you want to look at the elite group, the three corners are really, really good. Farley's got the injury issue. So it's Horn, it's Sertan, it's Farley, depending on where you are um, from an in, on his medical. At corner, you got three guys, or at receiver, you got three guys who I think are really elite. That's Chase, that's Jalen Waddle, that's Devontae Smith. That brings the number up to six. Two offensive linemen, Sewell and Slater. That brings you up to eight. And then you throw Pitts in that group, and that's nine. And now you're talking about what what you see at quarterback. And if five quarterbacks are going to go, then the number's up to 14. So I I think what we're looking at now is teams that are sitting there in the top six, seven, eight picks. And they're saying to themselves, if we can't get one of the super elite, like if it's not Sewell, it's not Pitts, and it's not Chase, and all these quarterbacks are going to go at the top and we don't necessarily need one, or the quarterback we like isn't going to be there when we're picking. Now you're looking at it and you're saying, what's the difference between, say, number seven and number 12, or number seven and number 15? So if you're one of those teams, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, like maybe I can slide down a little bit. And like, I think it's very, I, I think it just informs you on the rest of the class, right? Like that there's this top tier, and I don't think these teams want to move much past that. And once you get to 16 or 17, now one team I talked to, they're going to be into their second round grades when they get to that point. And so it's going to be interesting to see the way that that part of it plays out because there are, like like I said, there are a number of teams in the top 10 that are very much looking at the idea of dealing back. Takeaway number four, Mike Tomlin signed a three-year extension. Steelers announced it on Tuesday. And man, is that an incredible achievement. Mike Tomlin, by the way, is going into his 15th year. That means this year he is going to have been in Pittsburgh for as long a time as Bill Cowher was in Pittsburgh. Which, I mean, if you had told us, all of us, the football-consuming public, that when Mike Tomlin got hired in 2007, the Steelers were going to have him as their head coach for as long as they had Bill Cowher, you would at that point have said that it must have been a roaring success. And for the most part, it has been. Two Super Bowls. They won a championship under Mike Tomlin. They have not had a losing season, which is remarkable in this day and age, um, over Mike Tomlin's 14 years. And so, I mean, first the first takeaway there is Mike Tomlin, like what an incredible achievement to make it that long as a head coach in the NFL. And boy, do the Steelers know how to pick him. Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. If you were born in 1970, 
you're turning 51 this year, and the Steelers have had three coaches over your lifetime. But the other part of it is where this goes from here with Mike, Tom, with Tom, Mike, Mike Tomlin. And to me, so much of this is going to ride now on the offensive coordinator hire they made and promoting Matt Canada, who has a lot of coordinating experience at the college level, might do some innovative things. Um, and bring sort of a new look to what the Steelers have done, maybe update their offense a little bit. And then how does the transition from Ben Roethlisberger work? So, you know, you look and you see some really great young pieces on defense. T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Devin Bush. Um, they've got a chance to remain good on defense for a long time around those three guys, even as they cycle some of the older guys like Stephon Tuitt and Cam Hayward out. And Mike Tomlin's expertise is on that side of the ball. they got a solid coaching staff on that side of the ball. I think they're going to be fine on defense. I think where Mike Tomlin takes the Steelers from here is going to depend on whether or not he got the Canada higher right and whether or not he can replace Ben Roethlisberger. So, again, amazing he made it this long. And if he can get those two things right, get the yeah, – like, I don't think you can count out the idea that he could be there for a while longer. All right, now on a obviously much more serious note, uh, my fifth takeaway relates to the news in our country. On Tuesday, uh, Derek Chauvin found guilty on all three charges against him uh, for the murder, I mean, we use that word now, the murder of, of Georgia Floyd. Uh, you know, obviously, I think all of our thoughts here are with uh, the Floyd family, the people in Minneapolis. Um, and... Uh, you know, if there was any good to come of this, you know, I, I think it forced everybody to to, to reflect on, um, you know, kind of what's what's the reality uh, of our country. And, um, you know, I think it gave some athletes a voice um, and gave them, you know, an opportunity to see the power of their voice and the difference that they can make. Um, and it forced a lot of us who have lived in our bubbles and I've lived in mine to you know, kind of evaluate a lot of things. And, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, really even process like seeing um, the conversations that some of my friends um, had to have that I like, you know, until this point hadn't had to have with my children, with their children. Um, and the things they have to tell their kids that I don't have to tell my kids. Um, you know, the, the, the way that, you know, maybe their parents gave them advice that I didn't have to get when I was younger. And so, um, you know, I, I just, like, obviously no one should have lost their life over this. Um, you know, I just hope that we've all learned something. And, you know, um, seeing that athletes have, um, you know, some athletes have learned the power of their voice. Um, it's at least, uh, you know, a good thing. Um, so, you know, again, like our thoughts with the Floyd family, our, uh, our thoughts with the people in Minneapolis. Um, and we'll get to our special guest right after this. Right, we're going to bring back one of our favorite guests. We haven't had him on for a while because he's a busy, busy man. Um, you know him from Notre Dame. You know him from the first round of the NFL draft. Um, an NFL career of, I think, almost a decade, Brady. Um, and now from Big Noon Saturday on Fox. Uh, welcome back to the show, Brady Quinn. Thanks for having me on, Albert. It's always a pleasure. I apologize for not <laughs> being able to be on more often. I uh 
I think I've told you I'm actually trying to get my MBA, so I'm yep. doing a part-time program, and that's that's it's kind of thrown a wrench into some more of the free time that I have outside of uh, playing dad and all that good stuff. Well, part-time doesn't like when you're getting your MBA. I know my dad got my MBA, got his MBA when I was a kid. Didn't seem very part-time to me. So that's probably a little bit of a misnomer, huh? Uh, big time. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I've got class tonight. I'm in finals week right now, and of course. Finals week just happens to end the week before the draft, which I don't know if I should be thankful for that or frustrated with the fact that I'll be in class till about nine tonight. And, uh, and then I've got to work on this final project that's going to take me God knows how long between now and then. Unbelievable. All right. Well, I mean, God bless you for 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 being able to juggle all of that and give us a little time here. Um, so I want to start like and, and we brought Brady in because he's so good on the quarterbacks. And I think he can give us some unique perspective, A, having played the position, but also B, you know, having followed a lot of these guys um, during through his day job um, covering college football. And, um, you know, before Brady came on, he and I kind of went back and forth a little bit. And he mentioned that his top five might be a little bit different than the experts. So Brady, why don't we start there? How would you rank them? Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm with the consensus as far as who number one is. I'm, I'm shocked ever here when anyone else has anyone besides Trevor Lawrence is number one. Um, I think this is the time of year where we try to poke holes inside yeah. in these guys instead of really looking at what they are and where they're at. I don't know that any prospect like Trevor Lawrence is looked at as a finished product. He still even has room to get better. However, He's pretty damn good. I mean, for his size and his arm strength and everything he is as a passer, which is, you know, there's really not much that you need to kind of change. You know, I think at times, um, you know, I've heard people critique, for example, that he's taller. He's kind of a longer strider. Well, he's six foot six. Of <laughs> course, he's going to be a longer strider. Like he's just got longer legs. He's got longer levers. So, of course, that's going to be the case. What he does extraordinarily well for a six foot six guy is align his body to throws, and even when he doesn't align them to throws, he's still able to figure out a way to articulate his arm and his upper body to make that throw, um, and, and then really his pocket movement. His pocket movement is off the charts. It is, it's 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 already pro ready as far as just being able to subtly move right or left or up in the pocket and still get the throw off in an accurate football. Uh, and then on top of it, he's got athleticism that I don't know that anyone you know realized he had until the past couple of years after a couple of long runs. So he's number one. Uh, next up is where it gets kind of interesting is Justin Fields. And yeah. I say that because if I'm not mistaken, like I got a lot of flack from Buckeye fans after being there for, I think I talked to you after the Northwestern game was yeah. after the big 10 championship game. And I said, look, like a lot of the things that you hear people now talking about, I was saying back then after being there and preparing for those games to yeah. be an analyst for. And, and it's not that, you know, I feel like he doesn't have, you know, room to grow or he's improved since the Clemson game. Like, oh, that that showcased that, you know, he is better moving through his progressions, et cetera. It's not that. To me, I just think you look at his entire body of work and what he is as a prospect, and he's the second best of this group. He's got a strong arm. He drives the ball down the field. They asked him to do that a lot at Ohio State. It was very different, a contrast watching his tape when he got there and then when Dwayne Haskins was coming out, you know, who had the ability to do that, but they threw a lot more screens, a lot more shallow crosses. And that might have been as big of a part of who he's throwing to as it was what he felt comfortable doing. But with Fields, there's a lot more down the field throws. And I don't know that they even tapped into his running ability because 
two years ago, his first year starting, they were so scared of him getting hurt because they didn't have a backup. And then right. this past year, they barely had a season, which he's, you know, in large part, you know, to thank because he was one of the most vocal players in the Big Ten in getting them to come back when really I don't know how much this season was going to change his draft stock, draft stock one way or another. Um, but it obviously, in my opinion, I think still helped because of in particular that Clemson game. But, you know, he's still got a ton of ability to run and impact the game that way. Um, you know, does he does he hang on his first read or does he have a hard time if his first read's not there or sometimes versus pressure? Sure. A lot of these quarterbacks, though, showcase that. So I still think there's too much to to love about his game, his ability and what he is as a prospect and even just, you know, the, this personality and his demeanor as a leader. Uh, and that's why he's number two for me. Number three is Mac Jones. You know, he's got the best tape this year, just watching him, how he handled things. He's a better athlete than anyone gives him credit just because we see a, you know, a, a picture of him in the locker room with his shirt off, smoking a cigar <laughs> after a win. And we're like, oh, he must not be a good athlete. I'll tell you this much. I've seen more guys who have, who have bodies that look like that, that, that are good basketball players or, or can you know, play great, great golfers, baseball, you know, football players than I have with rocked up guys who look you fluid athletes, but he's um, you know, he's, he's accurate. He does his, his, the best job probably of anyone in anticipating his throws um, him and him and Lawrence excel at that, but uh, Mac in particular, and, you know, his pocket movement, I, I think he's another guy that much like Trevor Lawrence is kind of ready for that next level moving within the pocket because he has to. He doesn't have the ability to, you know, extend plays per se uh, or really impact the game with his running ability. But uh, bottom line is, you know, everyone said, well, he's got all this talent around him. Um, well, he did exactly what he was supposed to do with that talent then. He won the national championship. So right. I've got him as that third prospect. I've got Zach Wilson at four. Um, I, look, I, I'm as enamored as everyone else is with his arm talent, the flick of his wrist, how easy he makes it look, his ability to extend plays. Uh, I just kind of look at it and say, all right, this year was an outlier. You know, you go back through the past couple of years, inconsistent play, inconsistent accuracy. Um, you know, I, I think you see that that those traits and skill set. I know he was playing banged up back in 2019, but um, I'm just, I'm not as sold yet on him going to a bad situation, a bad team and really being able to elevate everyone out around them. You know, I think this past season, because of their schedule at BYU, they dominated everyone. You know, you could, you could throw balls in the tight windows or throw up 50, 50 balls and feel more confident doing it when you're playing bad foot teams or teams that you're better than. And that's what he saw this entire year with the exception of coastal Carolina, which happened to be his worst game. So Right. I just I get it. I see the upside. I see his talent. I I just I'm not as sold on what he's going to be on an NFL roster, um, you know, with, without a little more help and, and people around him. And then my fifth quarterback is not Trey Lance. It's it's Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M. Kind of right. reminds me of Herbert, um, just in regards of his progression, where he's gotten better every single year during his time there. He's accurate. He's got a strong arm. Uh, he's a good athlete. He, he's big. I mean, I don't, I don't think people understand how big and broad he is. And, and he's got all those tools and intangibles. You know, he's a smart kid. Uh, he's, you know, good decision-making. You can tell based on that in film. You know, is he uh, as as polished as you'd like him to be? Or does he make it look as natural as Zach Wilson does? Or even Trey Lance, for that matter? You know, no. But I also feel like, you know, that, that sort of thing, we could see him take that next step to the next level like we saw from Justin Herbert, where like that was some of my thoughts about him watching him at Oregon was, man, he seems rigid. He doesn't seem as fluid as, as much of a player. 
And then you see him, you know, play within the Chargers offense. You're going, oh, okay. You know, maybe it was just a little bit of the system he was in or how he's being coached. I think there might be a little bit of that with Kellen Mond. But uh, those are my top five. Lance obviously is six. Um, yeah. But that's kind of my top five. Are you down on Lance? Like, is there something that you feel like you're watching him? And we'll get to the other guys too, because I want to go in depth a little bit more on those guys also. But is there something about Lance? Um, and I don't want to make it sound like you're killing the guy because he's still the sixth best quarterback in the draft, in your opinion. Um, was there something that made you uncomfortable with him? No. I mean, the only thing that makes me uncomfortable is just lack of experience. You know, quarterback yeah. is an experience-driven position. And if you looked at total attempts, I think in their college career, he doesn't have 400 total attempts. Right. And, and I think if you, when you dig back to his high school career, I don't know that he had 100 total attempts. So the concern is more of – because to me, he oozes upside. I mean, his arm strength, his athleticism, when you watch him run on tape, he remind, reminds me of Dak coming out at Mississippi State. Um, but the lack of throws, the lack of really reliance on him to throw within their offense uh, is part of it. You know, he's going to be rusty. He looked rusty in the one exhibition game they had in the first half. Got to go in the second half, but um, or later on in that game, I should say. But, you know, he – He's 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 got the measurables. He's he's got the arm strength. He's got all those things you love. He just hasn't played a lot. And and nowadays, if you're going to take him in the top of the first round, you're expecting him to play. And he's a guy that I think could use a little more seasoning and development at the next level uh, and all that. So that, that's really more what it has to do with. Um, I just think I've got a, I have more comfort or confidence in what Kellen Mond is as, as a quarterback than what Trey Lance is, only because of the level which he played, the lack of snaps in which he played and the time off that he's had and then just playing football. Okay, so that's an interesting point because I think like, you know, and I want to hear this from a quarterback's perspective because I think it's sort of like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost like the the Malcolm Gladwell like 10,000 hour rule, right? Like that you time on task, you just need it. You need, you need reps. Um, and like there are a few guys at the top of this group that don't have a ton of starts, right? Like Justin Fields has 22 starts. Mac Jones has 17 starts. Trey Lance, like you said, 17 starts. And I, I, I'm i with you. I saw like the stat, like, like there are games where I don't think he threw the ball more than 18 times, right? That, that, so, that's what he averages, 18 times a game, roughly. Right, right. So like, why does that matter? From a quarterback's perspective, why is that? Is it just a matter of how much you've seen then, I guess, right? Yeah, and I also think just the overall reliance and pressure on you as a quarterback, you know, and now you can make the case, right, the counter side of this argument is, well, quality over quantity. Like when you are throwing the football those times, you better be accurate. You better make good decisions with it. Um, and so there's that argument to it. But at the same time, I think even within those 18 attempts per game on average, you know, you see him kind of be a little inaccurate. You know, I don't know how consistently accurate he is as a passer. He's a great decision maker. He's a, a true dual threat. Um, he's got a big arm. He can make all those throws. But, you know, there's just not as much of a reliance on him to really dominate football games the way it is for some of these other guys where you kind of feel like, look, if Mac Jones needs to go, you win a football game in a shootout, you know, there's elements of that. You know, you kind of see examples of that uh, in, in his play. So I, I don't know that North Dakota State had to do that quite as much a couple of years ago in Lance's, you know, one full season starting. Right. And that's interesting because I like I don't think a lot of people realize like how much better North Dakota State is than like 95% of the teams they're playing, right? Like so that's part of well, your point. So too. so so like that's the other thing that I, I find laughable, right? So like Alabama right. won the national championship this year. They had the Heisman Trophy winner as a wide receiver, and then they have the best offensive line, the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. And and so everyone's like, Well, 
Mac Jones is just a product of everything out around him, right? Yeah. And, and I sit there, I'm like, well, but one, like he can't control like the people he's playing with. He can only control what he's playing against, and he's playing against the top talent, and 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 they're beating people. Like he's on a record-setting pace at one point, and so he's doing exactly what he sh- is supposed to be doing. But if you're going to make that argument, like why are you not then questioning the dominance that BYU had over every one of its opponents? And then Zach right. Wilson and who they were throwing to versus who is covering them or North Dakota State at that lower level. Like you can't make that for and say, well, that's one of the reasons why Mac Jones excelled is because they're dominance over everyone else. Well, what about BYU? What about North Dakota State? Like that, that, that argument, you know, to me is kind of null and void because you, you have it at other, in, uh, in other examples at other levels too. Um, so you got to kind of apply it in that way, but but I'm with you. Like I think people who don't know that level, one they don't under. Like, like I think he, if he would have came back for another year, the hard part is, is he can't play this spring and then get drafted. So his right. hand was kind of dealt when the FCS pushed to the spring, where he would have had to play two seasons in one year, and that's just a lot of risk for a guy who's going to be a potential, you know, first round pick. Right. Right, right. Okay. Well, let's get back to the top then. And I, and I want to start with Trevor. And I've asked pretty much everybody we've had on uh, about this. Um, you know, and, and I think it's an interesting question because what you hear a lot of times is John Elway, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Like that he is a once in a decade type of prospect. So A, do you see it that way? And B, if you do, what are the qualities that you think separate him from the pack the same way Luck, Manning, Elway were separated from the pack? Well, I'll first start off by just saying, you know, he has got the prerequisite size, um, arm strength, uh, to me, downfield accuracy, throwing the football, the ability to make the variety of throws uh, as far as the, the touch, the deep ball, the intermediate passes, the, that two ball I've talked to you about before where you got to get up over one level defense, but before the second level right. defense, he demonstrates all of that. Uh, as far as the other intangibles, to me, it's kind of a toughness too. Like he's demonstrated an element of that. And I think you go back to two years ago, the hit he took versus Ohio State, and you see that and you go, wow. Like he came back in that game and fought. And the way he ran in that game, He's just a rare combination of that like size, athleticism, and just overall ability that you you very rarely see. I mean, I've told you this. I, I go back to high school days, you know, mm-hmm. seeing Trevor Lawrence. He was going to be a 2B junior, and I was doing an Under Armour camp out there. And like at, at that moment, I looked at him like he was Doogie Howser because I'm, I'm watching the ball come out of his hand. I'm looking at his arm strength, and Mac Jones is there. Uh, a few other top prospects was there, and he looks the best of everyone. And you kind of look at him and just say, like, dude, this guy was built to play a quarterback. And he was built to, to throw a football or throw something for that matter. Um, but those are the things that are all in display. I didn't, and the toughness to me is a huge thing. Um, yeah, I think the most interesting thing is his recent comments that kind of caught some flack because everyone thinks that you've got to be like an all or nothing anymore with the way you approach your craft or you approach what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I kind of actually felt his comments were genuine and refreshing. And I think yeah. it's one of the reasons why he's probably excelled is because he doesn't make it like the world, the weight of the world's on his shoulders every single play. Like he realizes what his, that most people identify him as a football player, but he knows that that's not his identity in his mind. That's not how he sees himself. And that's powerful. Right. And because I, I think, look, there's a lot of life to live after football. 
And, you know, I think he realizes that like his happiness is, is one day not going to be able to come from that. And, and there's something in, in that that's kind of freeing as, as a quarterback. And, and so I just think his mentality and how he looks at the game, how he handles the game, he's, he's got so much poise uh, to me, all, all of that is, is what kind of separates him as what he can be as a prospect from everyone else. I also think there was like a self-awareness to it, Brady, you know, like I, I, yeah. I thought like, like the fact that like, you know, he's the number one high school prospect in the country. I mean, like I've said this a couple of places, but like his path is almost unprecedented, right? Like where state champion in high school, number one prospect in the country, national champion in college, number one overall pick in the draft. It's like, if you are creating, like for, for a guy like that to have doubt or you almost have to be manufacturing it. Right. So, right. like, to me, it, like, shows he didn't need – like, it's hard to stay at that level and be that consistent. And he didn't need any of that crap to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I just think that there's something there. Like, if people really look at it, it's like he's true to his own experience in a way, you know? And, like, the fact that he's always been sort of that guy hasn't prevented him from maintaining at that level, if that makes – does that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. I mean, he's um, self-aware is one way of putting it. You know, I, I mean, and obviously everyone calls it like the it factor, but he just kind of has that it factor. Like he has that sort of ability where I think he raises the level of ability of those around him. Um, and, and you can see that just in the way he kind of carries himself and all that. But, but again, to me, it's, it's kind of like, when you're able to accomplish those things at such a young age in high school and in college and not be phased by it, it's because of how he views himself. It's just because of his perspective. And so that's where I felt like the SI, uh, I believe it was an SI, right? Yeah, that's right. Like I, I believe how he, how he answered that and said it, like gave you a peek into how his mind works and how like he's not impacted the same way other people are by feeling that weight of, of when he's, you know, had to put a team on his back or, you know, had a bullseye on his back since his freshman year when they won a national championship, you know? So it's just, to me, it's like that perspective. If he continues to carry it with them in Jacksonville, you know, the, the sky's the limit, especially with urban and, and what they've done so far. Okay. So, and we're going to get back to urban too, who of course sat on a set the last couple of years with Brady um, but I want to I want to touch base I want to touch touch on Justin Fields with you too because you've obviously covering the Big Ten been around him a lot um, you guys have been on site for a bunch of his games what do you make of the criticism of him over the last couple of weeks and what do you make of him as a person and a player going into the NFL that relate like that would sort of relate to all of that well as as a person I mean people who are getting drafted in the big 10 should kind of help credit him as being one of the people to help them actually right. play football this year. Like he was one of the most vocal about it. He had nothing to prove. Yeah. So, you know, he's a leader. He's, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily uh, question any of it. I mean, just being around the team, being around all that, no one, no one had any questions about what he was as a worker, what he was as a leader, how he communicated. Um, that was never anything with urban, anything around it in the coaches or some of the players we talked to or any, or anyone, you know, and I'm close to a lot of people there. I was saying from Columbus and that was yeah. never a concern, you know, to be just completely transparent. That was a concern more for Haskins. Right. And, and I've told you this, like over the course of his time at Ohio state, like when I went there early in the year to call games and later in the year, 
you saw the growth, even how he handled a production meeting. Like he was much more type A, outspoken, started to like talk to talk about certain things um, with more like, like from the you know standpoint of a leader. Um, Fields kind of almost was like that the entire time. Um, so, you know, that stuff that came out, honestly, that to me comes from agents. It comes from teams maybe trying to throw people off their scent. That's that's my only idea of where it could come from because I think anyone anyone who says otherwise is full of crap. Like they really are, or they haven't done their homework. So that, that's more of like the, uh, the off the field stuff with him and all that. Um, but you know, look, his biggest thing is when he gets pressure or when he doesn't see the field clearly, he struggles a little bit to pull the trigger. Now, some people obviously view that as you know, that, that's, that's more of a con or a weakness, whatever you want to call it. I kind of look at it and say, look, he just needs to play a little bit more. He just has to get more comfortable with making those throws into some of the tighter windows. Now, there's other times where you see he makes a throw in a tight window because he's much more convicted in where he's throwing the football. You know, he understands what he's saying, what the play's asking for, and where to go with it. It's those times when it's not as clear where I, I think he struggles a bit. But as far as accuracy goes, you know, touch, arm strength, athleticism like he checks all those boxes and so there's i really don't have any reservations from that standpoint um you know he's got more starts than mac he's got more starts than trey lance some of the other guys he's compared to um so i i really feel like that's something that especially in the right system and team if he was to go to san francisco i really feel like he could flourish there because of kyle shanahan and what he's capable of doing with quarterbacks but especially with the skill set that justin has would you like when you look at like the fit, like, cause this is like obviously going to be a big question. Cause I think we all assume Trevor's going first and, and Zach's going second. When you look at Kyle's offense and I don't, did you ever play in it? Uh, I did not. I, I wish I would have had the opportunity to, but I did not. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, but you know it, right? Like you have an idea of yeah. what they, what they, what they'd be looking for. Like which, which, which one makes sense? Like Trey, Justin, uh, Mac, which one makes sense when you look at what Kyle's offense is? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, all of them, like, cause yeah. he's going to adapt to what their skill set is. Like, right. if you're looking at, like, I would ask you this, how different is Mac Jones from Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, I mean, I, I don't feel like they're that different as athletes. Yeah. So, Jimmy freelance is more, but I would say that's more like stylistically. That's like not physical. Sure. That's more just kind of how they play. Right. Sure. But I'm just, I'm just putting it out there for comparison as far as, if you look at yeah. Mac Jones, his skill set and his athleticism, and then Garoppolo's, it's like, well, anything they're doing with Garoppolo, like Mac Jones is going to be able to do. And then, but right. it's not like they're going to incorporate, you know, maybe some quarterback run or anything else from that, right? But you would if you had Justin Fields or Trey Lance, because that's that's part of their weapon, right? Like that makes that makes Kyle Shanahan's job easier when you have a quarterback that can run like Fields and Lance, because it's going to change the way defenses play you. They can't do as much; they have to account for you. So third right. down gets a little bit easier, especially if it's like six or less because your quarterback can take off and hurt you with his legs. Um, you know, even some of those early downs, depending on what, if you sprinkle in some quarterback runs or just, you know, again, zone reads, things of that nature. So it, it all depends on what, you know, Kyle wants to do and how he views where their team is at, their roster, their league and all that. I mean, all these guys, I think now more than ever, Albert, is, they've got to be able to adapt to what they have. And right. it didn't used to be like that. And so it was probably a little bit different where when they first drafted RG3 and Kirk Cousins, they might have been a little more rigid with, well, we've got to incorporate some things 
to allow our Robert Griffin III to be special, like what we saw at Baylor, and they did that. But then when Kirk goes in, they got to adapt. You know, he's not running zone reads, not having quarterback design run. So, you know, to answer the question, it really comes down to what his preference is of what he wants to run and what he wants to do. And, right. and only he knows that. I, I couldn't tell you that. Because it's all there, is what you're saying. Like the the, the yeah, tools, all, to, the, all the, the tools to get guys. the most out of all. Like they're all there. Yeah. It's just a matter well, of which way you want to play. They're all there because Kyle is is right. Him and Andy Reid to me are the two best play callers in the NFL. Uh, I know and Sean Payton's up there and, and everyone's up there, but but the reality is, and the hard thing that, about with Payton is, even though you saw sprinkles of like Bridgewater and Taysom and Jim, and you see them, okay, like aside from a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest, most prolific passes we've seen at Breeze, like you saw a small sample size, but you know, with with these other guys, like they really do adapt and find ways of working to the strengths of what they have. We saw that with Andy Reid and Alex Smith. We see it now with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. You know, we've seen that with Kyle Shanahan, regardless of who it is. I don't care if it's their third string quarterback in Bethard or someone else. You know, right. we've we've seen him be able to play their strengths and be a competitive football team. So that's like that's not a concern for me as far as who they go with and like how they'll fit in the system. Like Kyle will make the system fit to them. Right. Cause it's so it's so funny to say that too. Cause like I was talking, I was talking to a scout earlier today and he just said to me, he's like, it's like everybody's pointing to Matt Ryan and uh, to um, to Kirk Cousins and to uh, Matt Schaub, and everybody's forgetting that the original quarterbacks in that offense really were Steve Young and John Elway. You know, right. and like so, it's not like they haven't valued athleticism, like high end athleticism, in the past. That's been there for them. Well, and I think about like the outside zone and the boots off of that, right? And right. when you have a guy like Garoppolo or Mac Jones, like here's what you don't have is once they get around that backside end who's not blocked, right, or, or the end-of-the-line defender, you know, they Justin Fields or Trey Lance is a legitimate run threat. You know, right. like they legitimately could take off and pick up 10 yards in, in the blink of an eye. You know, Max Jones isn't that. So when you're, when you're thinking about like, oh, okay, like what kind of system do you like to run? Well, if you like to run the outside, you like to have a, a boot paired off of that. It'd be nice to have a guy who can actually not even have to throw the football and pick up a first down because that forces the defense to have to be accountable for him. It gives you either an easy dump off to the flat, a comeback, an over, you know, a deep cross, whatever the case is. But it gives you so many options of that because of what they force a the defense to do. And I just – I look at the NFL now and feel like, you know, Mac Jones, if he was entering in the NFL 20 years ago, like people would be, you know, salivating over him. But now right. you look at it and you go, ah, he's not as athletic. So if he goes to a team with a battle line, like how's he going to handle that, right? I right. don't know that you feel that way about some of these guys who have the ability to improvise to run because you know they can really hurt a defense with four five, four four, forty speed. Well, and it's also like like you feel like you feel like in a situation like that, like their legs will buy them time to develop, right? Like if they've got a, if they they, they it's almost like it gives you like an escape hatch where it's well, like Russell Wilson, right, right. Yeah, I mean Russell Wilson's likes bottom time to develop, right? Yep. I mean that yeah. that's literally what you saw in the beginning of his career. You had a strong running game, boots, and you had, you know, nakeds off that or shots downfield with play action, move the pocket. And then when it wasn't there, what'd he do? He didn't force the football away. He ran. He did what he felt comfortable doing. And and he was special in doing that. So that's where like you look at the fields, you look at Trey Lance, you look at the guys that have that ability. It's not such a bad thing to roll out in the beginning of your career. You just have to know, know know how to go down, how to protect yourself, and then eventually you've got to continue to develop. Like I think you hit a wall. Like Cam Newton hit a wall when he won the MVP. He never was able to replicate 
his play from the pocket or, or what he showcased that year because eventually your body wears down. You have to play the game from the pocket and, and utilize the rules to your advantage like they're set up for the quarterback. And that's the problem is he never really took that next step consistently uh, from the pocket. So that's that's more of the challenge for these guys. But like I said, like it's almost a prerequisite now with being able to run the football like they can. Okay, a couple last things on the quarterbacks. Uh, because Just because you have Wilson lower than most people do, would it surprise you if we look up five years from now and he's the best one? It would, uh, it would not surprise me because of – you know, the other thing that I think, if, you know, and he's got laugh lessons, by the way, he can run, right. he can extend plays, like he's got some of that creativity to him. But the other thing you see now more than ever is just the off platform throws. Right. And he can do that. Like he can, set, he doesn't even have to set his feet. It's the flick of his wrist. And that to me, like I, I know people try to make the Holmes comparison. I don't see Mahomes. If, if the flick of his wrist and the way he releases the football reminds me more of Rodgers, it's more yeah. of like an Aaron thing where, Aaron just kind of like flicks his wrist and things on a dart. That's kind of how, how Zach Wilson's release is and how he lets go of the football and, and how I see it jump out. Um, and I think they're more comparable to an athleticism and an ability to buy plays. And so, look, I'm not saying that Zach Wilson's going to be the second coming of an MVP, but when I watch him, that's more of who I see than, than a Patrick Mahomes. Like Mahomes is kind of just so unique in his own right. Um, you know, Zach Wilson reminds me a little bit more of, of kind of Rogers with his delivery in that regard. But um, no, because of that, like because of that skill set that also is needed now more than ever in the NFL with the way the rushes are, the way the blitzes and pressures and the way the pockets are breaking down. OK, the other thing I wanted to ask you and you can take this any way you want to take it. Um, is there somebody outside of the six that you named that? you're just sort of keeping your eye on, you know, following college football as closely as you do, following the NFL as closely as you do, understanding what it takes to play the position. Is there anybody outside of those six where you're just, maybe there's just enough there where you're intrigued and you're like, you know what? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if this guy made it. Um, Gosh, that's tough. Because the, the first thing that came to mind, yeah. uh, and, and you're going to call me a homer, it's, it's Ian Book. <laughs> Ian Book. <laughs> yeah. and, and the reason is because, like, I, I remember when he first got to Notre Dame, I remember I was watching some of his huddle tape when he was in high school. Yeah. And I kept – and this was back when they were going through, like, Kaiser and I'm trying to think Malik Zaire and some of the other quarterbacks that were there. And I remember being like, man, but what about, what about Ian? What about Ian? And because he had the footwork, he was accurate, uh, he was a tough dude, he could run a little bit. And I just think, like, if you look at his game, you know, outside of, you know, maybe not having the strongest arm uh, and then sometimes being a little bit too conservative. I think there's times he could let it go. He could anticipate better. But just you can't count that young man out. He's He's got a skill set, the IQ, the toughness, uh, the accuracy, like all those things you're looking for. I'm telling you, don't count him out. If he gets in a good situation, I think he'll be able to excel. I'm a huge fan of him. And I get it. Everyone's just saying the Notre Dame thing. But. Forget about the Notre Dame thing. The Notre Dame thing, the only thing that allowed me to do was get closer to him and be able to see him more and see how – exactly. And that's why I say that. Um, And so he's he's one of the the, the guys that I kind of say that about. I kind of feel similar about Sam Ellinger in that way, just being around Sam a little bit Um, and just his toughness and determination all that. There's something to be said for that. 
But no, I think it's a good crop. You know, Davis Mills is a guy that I'm kind of intrigued by to see what he could be in, a, in the right spot, right situation. Um, he's a guy that kind of stands out like that. A lot of people are high on Trask. I'm, I'm more curious about Trask just because of what he had at Florida. Um, he's got great poise in the pocket, but he's very immobile. Uh, he's got a strong arm. Right. He doesn't spin it overly well. It kind of is inaccurate and in some of the short intermediate throws, which is a bit surprising sometimes. Like he has the um, issues. Like I feel like Trask has the issues that everybody thinks Mac Jones has. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Like he like the one game we saw without you know Tony and Pitts. You're like, oh okay, that didn't that didn't look good. Um, which like just I mean, yeah. Being in being in an offense where you don't have your top two guys, especially two big time difference makers, it's it's tough. Um, and so that's kind of expected. But you know, sure, it's it, sure. there, there's a good group of guys kind of behind this group, but. Ian's kind of the guy that I'm. I'm really kind of curious to see where he's going to end up. Um, but is I, it like I think Cole McCoy-ish? Maybe him? Like is that? Yeah, that I think. Fair? I think that's like a fair comp. I think that's yeah. a really fair comp. You know, when you look at their skill sets and kind of size, accuracy, and all that, um, just their success too. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair comp. I think the other thing people like underestimate is like every year he was at Notre Dame. He had a different leading wide receiver. Like he had to yeah. start over again. You know, like he had Miles Boyd the first year, and he wasn't even the guy going into that. You know, he, he ended up taking over the job. The next year is Chase Claypool. Claypool goes moves on, and this passion is start over again. And so it was kind of Javon McKinley. But to be honest, with you, I think they're they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, and it ended up being really Michael Mayer, their tight end, who was a freshman. And so, like when you look at like a different stats or things like that, you go, well. Like he had to start over every year trying to develop chemistry with that go-to wide receiver. And that's it, it's tough to be able to develop in an offseason where you don't have spring ball due to COVID. And I think that stuff matters too. Like even like with Trevor, like losing T. Higgins and then unexpectedly losing Justin Ross. And you know, I think really yeah. all they had was like Mari Rogers coming back, right? Like yeah. you look at that, you look at that, and like and it was like with Trevor, it was like people think it's Clemson. Well, they must have a million guys. And like really that like wasn't the case this year. He had to he had to do a lot to make that work. Yeah, and Cornell Powell ended up stepping up in a big way. Yeah. I think he's going to be one of those mid-round, late-round guys that people really like. But, no, you're right. I mean, there, and then, look, one of the criticisms I hear about him is, well, he locks on a receiver too long. Well, look, if Amari Rodgers is your only guy, yeah, you're going to lock on him. Like, I, right. I, I go back to one of my like my more memorable moments, and we, like, we end up beating UCLA with, like, 30 seconds left. And, and then the touchdown play, like, I locked on Samarja. Well, why? Well, because I, I knew if I could get him the football, like he's going to do something special with it afterwards. So you pump fake, you draw on the defense, you find a window to throw to him. Like, that's how it works. Like, this is still a game. We act like, you know, this this thing's an exact science, and it's not. When things break down or, you know, when you have to make a play, sometimes you have to do things that might be against the odds. Right, right, absolutely. All right, well, what I want to wrap up with, uh, with Jan is – Something I've been dying to ask you for the last couple of months, and that that's that's about Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. I've obviously you know followed his career closely, um, you know, and and I don't think anybody was closer to him outside of his family than you guys that were on the set with him while he was going through the process and making this decision and everything else. Um, so I, I'm just I'm really curious, Brady, to hear how ready you think Urban is for this um, and. Whether or not you think it's going to work and what it'll take for it to work. So I think he's ready for it because to be quite honest with you, I think college football is so much closer to being a professional sport now than ever. 
I think he built up that program to essentially operate as one with it being an NFL factory pumping guys out into the draft every year. So, you know, they kind of had a scouting department. They kind of had all those things. Like he was heavily involved in recruiting. I mean, he stressed that more than anything else. And he was extremely successful. And, and you could see why both the Florida and, and Ohio State, when you have the top talent, you know, and you put them in the right position, you're going to win a lot of football games. So um, the, the reason why I bring that up is because I, I think he's prepared for what the NFL requires of him in that position. I think he's getting to a team at a perfect time. I mean, a ton right. of cap space, ton of draft picks. They get the number one overall pick. He gets that, you know, a quarterback that it's, it's hard to deny, you know, what he could potentially, you know, do. Not only, by the way, in the future, but this year. Like, I think they might be the second. They might finish in second place in that division. That's no disrespect to the Titans or Colts. Um, but, like, I think we know the Texans are in – they're a mess right now. That's right. – who knows what's going to happen to them. I don't know that the Titans can continue to, to, to maximize where they've been at if their defense plays as bad as it did last year, uh, and if their offense losing Arthur Smith, how that's going to impact them. And you look at the Colts, like, is, there, is it an upgrade getting Carson Wentz? Right. I, I don't think so. Like, so I, I'm not I'm not sold on them being able to take away the division just because they have Wentz now. It's a reunion with Frank Reich. So I actually think it's a great opportunity for them right now. But, you know, they, so he's got the resources as far as draft, you know, draft capital as well as uh, cap space. And then I also think he's great at being able to change the culture and change the environment. Like from being around him for a couple of years, one of the things that he does extremely well is he's laser focused and it has this ability to communicate in a very effective manner. So there's no confusion as far as what the expectations are and what he wants. And so I think when you have a clear understanding of all that on every play of every situation and down, whether it's the coaching staff or players, you can all move in the right direction and you kind of can, can easily see like where things go wrong, address, improve, and then and move forward. Like I witnessed that from a, a pregame college football show week after week, you know, he'd come in and talk about things we can be improved upon things he'd like to do different, what was better, or if it didn't feel right or something didn't look good. Um, he was constantly trying to improve himself, become more efficient, become better. And so there's, there's that element of him that I think he's going to be able to bring to the Jaguars um, that that is kind of unique. I mean, unless you've been around, you know, Urban or been around Coach Meyer, it's it's hard to fully understand if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I had heard that, like, somebody had said to me, like, well, he's really, like, sort of created competition for himself within the pregame show with you guys. And, like, it was sort of like, I know you guys had kind of been like battling Goliath, right? Like, which is college game day on ESPN. And he's sort of I, like, I, I remember hearing from a couple of people, no, he's taking this. And what you're describing sounds like it. Like he's almost like treating it like a game, you know, or a season, like, like that he was that serious about it and that he, he really kind of took it as a challenge. Like, is that the right way to look at that? And that's the truth. It's not the right yeah. way. It's the truth. Like yeah. he wanted to know the ratings. He wanted to know every single week how much we were pecking away by what we can do to try and draw more viewers, what we need to do to get better as our show and develop chemistry, all that stuff. I mean, he, he invested himself into that. Like we would go out and we would just have, like we would all fly out to LA. We'd meet, we'd go golf, have dinner, hang out, you know, let everyone kind of, you know, intermingle and all that. And that was purely just for chemistry. We, we didn't do anything. We were just all going out there to hang out, get to know each other. Yeah. Like we would have, we would have events like this where we do that together as a group, especially when we first started. And he was a big part, a part of that. 
And if he just wanted to make sure that everyone like was able to do that, or when we'd be on the road together, have dinners, have different, you know, opportunities for us all to be around one another and then kind of make sure we brought a lot of that camaraderie to the set. Uh, and so, I mean, like we, you know, we had, by the time we got to Ohio state for like the um, umpteenth time, right. Cause, right. cause you know, his connections there and everything else, you know, we had running jokes like Reggie basically loves Columbus, Ohio. He might've bought a house there for all I know because we were there so often and he, he had gone shopping at one point, everything else. But like, there were so many different little things that came from that, but it was, again, his focus on wanting to win, but also understanding like how to win, like how to build, build that culture or build that environment where we had challenged each other to be our best, but also make sure like what we were producing was a- as good as we could produce to beat our competition. So do you think that like all this translates to the NFL then that like, he's going to be able to get NFL players to respond to him the way that you need to as an NFL head coach? I do because of this. I think the NFL, the average age of the player, I think is probably as young as it's ever been. Right. I, and, you know, you're getting – the thing about a young team like this, they don't know any different. Like with all the draft picks they're getting, they're coming from a college level, so they don't know any different, even if he was going to run it like that, right? And yeah. then for a lot of the older veteran guys and all that, I mean, it's – you know, the paid guys are going are gonna to put up with it because they're getting paid. Like what's their other option? Right. If, if indeed that was the case, but I don't even think – like I said before, like I think he's kind of positioned himself when he was at Ohio State, almost running it, you know, very similar to how he would be a professional football team. It wasn't like you can grind on college players the way you used to anyway. Like all that's changed. So I think the NFL is is probably closer to college football than it's ever been in the sense of like the way they practice, the way they prepare, um, you know, the the type of maturity of type of player you're getting, right? You know, social media is uh, and, and recruiting and the highlight and the, I should say the spotlight on these players uh, has kind of increased their awareness of like them even going to college as a brand like they have to represent themselves on that because everyone's watching so I, I just I think what he'll preach and, and what he'll, he'll ask of them uh, won't be won't be you know any different than you know what they've already experienced at some point I just think he's probably a better communicator at doing it and I think he'll be successful at whatever he wants to do because he's a great leader. Like leaders lead. That's what Urban Meyer is is was built to do or born to do. You just get right. that sense from being around him. Like the thing I appreciate the most about him is, and I told you like his focus in communication. There are times he's so oblivious to stuff on the outside because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care for it, doesn't think it matters. That I actually almost think like it's a it's an attribute that's allowed him to be so successful. Cause right. he's, just, he's just been able to like block out the stuff that's insignificant or doesn't matter or doesn't, or doesn't help him get from point A to point B and winning a championship as fast as possible. Like he's been able to just block whatever that stuff is out. And I think that's like a unique quality and attribute that he has. That's probably really, really underrated. It's like being able to distill your life to like what matters. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, which is probably, that's a much more yeah. eloquent way of putting it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, well, and I have to fall on the sword here too. Uh, one of the reasons we haven't been able to get Brady on as much is because I'm a bad communicator. So maybe I need to be around Urban a little <laughs> bit more. And I, I always ask Brady last minute, and I know how busy he is. And so this time I actually gave him some notice, and we were able to work it out. We'll do it again sometime soon. Uh, he is on Big Noon Saturday on Fox. 
He is a uh, he, former first-round pick, a former NFL quarterback, a former Notre Dame quarterback, um, and and an NBA candidate at Babson, right? Yeah, Babson, yep. At Babson, so, which is a very, I'm, I'm very actually, challenging NBA program, by the way. I'm, I'm actually moonlighting right now. I, I, they asked me to be the master of ceremonies for this really neat program they have called uh, Babson Worldwide Connect. So they basically go through every continent. They've got a, a really uh, prestigious group of alumnus, business owners, and so forth. And I got to like basically ahead of time pre-tape all these introductions with um, various alums and family and so forth that are speaking on just various topics that are um, obviously important at this point in time in the business world. So as of right now, I, I might be on that video saying something throughout this program <laughs> while we record this podcast. So there you yeah, go. We'll double there you there you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, we, we love have Brady, having Brady on. We'll have him on again soon. Brady, always appreciate it. And good luck with finals. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Albert. All right. Thanks to Brady. Always great having him out. And I promise we won't wait as long to have him back again. He's obviously a recurring guest on the show and great every time he comes on. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how that works. Every week, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get an answer here on the podcast. You also get a like on social media. That means I hit that little heart button there. And if you don't get an answer here, chances are I might have answered your question in the mailbag, which goes up every Wednesday morning on the MMQB.com. Question number one for this week comes from Adam Coates. That's at Coates. 49er. Pitts and Chase, both on the board. Who would you take and why? Adam, it's a tough call. I think both guys are elite at their position. I think Chase is one of the best receivers to come out over the last 10 years, not just this year, over the last 10 years. He's got everything that you want in a receiver. Kyle Pitts may be the best tight end to come into the league in 15 years. So that's why I'm going to give Pitts the edge. I think it's a little more rare. I think it's a little harder to find a guy like Kyle Pitts than it is to find a guy like Jamar Chase. Uh, and I'm talking about Chase versus not just Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, but Chase versus what you might get in the second round, first-round receivers versus second-round receivers. It's just there's so many good players at that position in the NFL right now and so many good players at that position coming into the league on an annual basis I just think the scarcity of a great tight end is greater than the scarcity of a great receiver. And in today's NFL, it also helps to have a guy who, when you break the huddle, you don't know what the other team doesn't know where he's going. And you don't, you are tipping your hand on what you're doing. Pitts is a willing blocker. You can line him up in line. You can line him up split. You can put him wherever you want. And to me, like having that sort of player the way the game is played now is incredibly valuable. And that's taking nothing away from Jamar Chase. I just think it's a little harder to find a player like Kyle Pitts than it is to find a player like Jamar Chase. I think both have a chance to have fantastic NFL careers. But again, for me, the choice would be Pitts. Close call, but Pitts over Chase. Question number two from John. That's at John 9212476. More likely to drop next week, Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith? I'd say Devontae Smith has a better chance to slide than Jalen Waddle. Why? Well, I think this boils down again to what the NFL is looking for in 2021. And there's this sort of Tyreek Hill effect that I think is going to help guys 
and not just in the first round, but also second round, third round, the game breaker type. Now, that could be old Mrs. Elijah Moore. That could be Purdue's Rondale Moore. That could be uh, Louisville's Tutu Atwell. could be Florida's Kadarius Tony. I think because of where the game is and how the game's being played right now, the idea that you'd want a guy who can threaten at every level of the defense is like what everybody's looking for. And so Jalen Waddell, just electric with a ball in his hands, can get downfield, can make plays in the return game. I just think that the NFL values a guy like that over a do-everything receiver like Devontae Smith. And again, that's not taking anything away from Devontae Smith. It's just, I, I think it's sort of where the NFL is right now. So I think Jalen Waddell, I would say, goes somewhere inside. I want to say top 10, but I'll say... Let's let's say top twelve or thirteen picks. Devontae Smith, I think you could see him in the mid to late teens, and I think whoever gets him will wind up with a great value. But I think it's more likely that Smith has a little bit of a slide, not out of the top twenty or anything like that, but a little bit of a slide that Jalen Waddle does. Question number three from Zach Fogelman. That's at Fogelman Zach. Where is Justin Fields now projected to go? Is there any team that really wants him? Zach, it's a Good question. Um, like, where is he projected to go? I think he goes somewhere inside the top eight. Um, you know, I think there are teams that really value who he is as a player. If you ask me what the range is for these guys, I, you know, I, I think Trey Lance would be three to nine. I'd say Justin Fields is three to eight. Um, you know, and I, I look, I, I don't think it's impossible Atlanta takes him at four. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are teams that really like him. And I can also tell you there are teams that have him ranked ahead of Zach Wilson. So it's not like Brady Quinn coming on our podcast is the only person who's got him ranked ahead of Zach Wilson. There are team, teams that have him ranked ahead of Zach Wilson. Just so happens that the Jets happen to prefer Wilson. So, I, like, look, I, the way I look at this, you know, I, I think he's a great talent. I think, you know, it's when you draft a quarterback that high, you are literally tying your job security to the to that quarterback, so you have to be incredibly comfortable with them. I think all five of the quarterbacks have a chance to be really good. The five quarterbacks we're going to see going in the first round, and I would say Fields' range is somewhere between three and eight. Uh, question number four: This is from Dan Vakalek at Diehard. That's D Y H A R D. What are your thoughts on Green Bay's offseason workout program? And payouts. Are they leading the way for a new format that other teams will soon follow? If you guys have missed it, Pro Football Talk, I believe, reported this last week um, that the Packers have set up a program where um, for guys to hit their markers on their workout bonuses, um, they can actually participate in Phase 1, which is now through the middle of May. Um, they they, they They can take part in all of that virtually. And then when it goes to... OTAs, which is the actual on-field stuff, starting, I think, May 17th, then they actually have to show up. I think it's a really, really smart compromise. It gives guys a chance to get vaccinated. It gives players who haven't been vaccinated the shot to stay away, at least for now. Um, And yeah, I think it's really smart. The reason they did it, of course, is because they've got a lot of guys who have big money, um, who have big money workout bonuses. I think it's seven players that have half million dollar workout bonuses. So I think it makes sense. I think it would make sense for other teams to do that for the time being. Um, and that at least would buy time for the union and league to work their issues out, which, by the way, they don't have to. I mean, 
the, the NFL's already shown that they're willing to go forward with starting the offseason program without a global agreement on this stuff because they already did. Um, okay, question number six from Nick Trick Archie, I think is it is. He was nice enough to leave us a uh, he was nice enough to leave us a pronunciation guide to his name. So I think I'm pronouncing it right. Nick Nick Trickarchie. That's at and Trick Archie. The MMQB cited Sewell as a quote fantastic talent with character flags, but you didn't actually discuss what those were. As far as I can tell from the column, he's just young. Can you elaborate? Seems like character flags getting thrown around more. The penalty flags this year. Character flags are always things that come up in the pre-draft process. I, I would say, I would say Panay Sewell's character flags basically relate back to his maturity. He has some growing up to do. Uh, his family was around a lot at Oregon. Uh, you know, I know there were some issues where they felt like he needed, he had some growing up to do. Nothing crazy. Nothing that like you're going to say is disqualifying. But if you're going to draft a guy fifth or sixth overall, then I think you want to know, all right, like this is what I'm getting. And you want to know this is a guy who we feel like could be a captain for us in five years. Like Sewell has some growing up to get there. And then the question becomes when you're looking at guys who don't have those sorts of marks on them, like a Kyle Pitts, like a Jamar Chase, um, the question becomes, would you just rather go with something that's safe when you're drafting that high um, when the other guys are elite as well? So that's sort of where it's at with Sewell. A lot of people have asked me the question. I don't want to kill the kid, but it's something that's being discussed um, in the, you know, in, in the Bengals building, in the Lions building, in the, in the Dolphins building. And so we bring you that news because it's a factor for the teams involved. Question number six, final question for the week from Tim Danders. That's at Honest Niners fan. Not expecting any names or titles, but in general, with how secretive teams are, how does info spread about teams' motives? When connected people say, I'm hearing it's, is that agents that have this info or other execs that can tell you based on a team's draft prep or what? This is a good question, Tim. I'm glad you asked it. I think it's, it's good for me to be transparent about how all this works. Um, you know, over the next week or so, I'm going to make an effort to talk to all 32 teams. Um, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, leading up to this um, point. Uh, and, you know, the information gathering process is sort of ongoing constantly. One thing that you sort of do is these teams, their job is to figure out what's going on with other teams. And so the way you sort of put the puzzle pieces together is you talk to a team and they're usually not going to tell you what they're doing, but they might know what three or four other teams are doing. So over time you start to build up kind of, you know, the mosaic that is the first round and you get a consensus on where this player is going or where that player is going. Is it perfect? No. But when you start to hear team X is is interested in player Y or player Z, from three or four different other teams, well, then it starts to gain some validity. So again, we're just trying to put the pieces together and do the best we can covering this for all of you guys, which is a lot of fun for us, a lot of fun for me personally. Um, and I really enjoy doing it, but that's sort of how it works. And like I said, like it's not perfect, but you know, we try to do as good a job as you possibly can in giving people informed I guess some informed speculation on where this stuff is going and what could happen next Thursday night. And the interesting thing about it is all that information we build up 
a lot of it like becomes worthless the minute the picks are made. So uh, again, it's like sort of a fun time of year. I can offer something back to the teams that I covered over the course of the year. Um, and I love that information trade. And as somebody who's always loved the draft, going back to when I was a kid, and you, you used to watch it all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Uh, it's kind of cool to be part of that process. Appreciate you guys coming out. Um, as you guys know, we love your feedback. We value your feedback. We want your feedback. You know where to get to me on social media with that feedback. At Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook. And as always, it's always good for you guys to get us that that feedback on iTunes and give us a rating and review there. That helps other people find the show. So if you guys can give us A, a rating, B, a review, that would really help us out. You can help the show out that you get for free on a weekly basis. And you should always be listening to all of the MMQB shows. The MMQB Deep Dive Monday Morning Show. Um, that's with Gary Grambling and friends. Jenny and Connor's Week Side Podcast. And of course, this podcast, The Albert Breer Show. All three feeds, they're separate now, as you guys know. But bang on the download button. Um, with each week's episode, bang on the subscribe button so you get in your feed every week. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We are there. Same time, next week, we'll be on the doorstep of the draft. I can't wait. We'll see you guys then. Bye.